podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. G'day, my name's James. Welcome to the Oz F1 show. In this episode, we have a very, very special guest, uh, Michael Italiano, a professional F1 trainer, and he joins us from the UK. G'day, mate. How are you doing? Hey, James. I'm very well, mate. How are you? Yes, we are. We're both very well. Thank you so much for for being on the show. It's it's great to have you here. Now you are a bit of a superstar, thanks to Netflix now, which is great. So <laughs> really good that, Gee, you're good really that we can me up uh, get you on the show. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to do it, mate. Um, but what I thought we'd do is is chat about you. You're doing some amazing things at the moment uh, with your own business, which is really cool too. Uh, but I thought we'd talk about your early life, what it was like to decide into getting into this. The, the bit that you're at now. Um, talk to us about growing up in Perth and how you decided getting into fitness and nutrition was the thing to do. Yeah, sure. Um, grow, growing up in Perth, I absolutely loved it. I, I still do. I, I miss home every day. Uh, I think Perth's a beautiful place. Love the weather. Um, I'm, a, I'm a summer guy. I love chasing the sun. So, <laughs> you know, being being on the beach in Perth is is, is what I love doing. So, uh, growing, growing up in Perth, I was uh, – I was a pretty confused teenager leaving school. I didn't actually know what I wanted to do. So uh, I always had this creative side to me. So I always wanted to do something that was really creative. So I <laughs> I don't know how this was going to make sense, but I ended up deciding <laughs> to start studying civil and structural engineering. Um, a little bit of, yeah. And uh, a bit of civil design work as well. So I kind of went... Uh, I, I did my TE, well, it was called TE at the time. I'm not sure if it's changed these days and maybe show my yep. age here. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I did my TE, thought I was going to go to university and then I finished my exams and there was just no real desire to go to university. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I went straight into the workforce, started working for an engineering firm in the city and Pretty much fast forward seven years later, um, you know, I'm still in the same building in the city. Uh, you know, it, it was a it was a great job, it was a secure job. I was I was earning some some decent money, and you know, there's huge upside. There was a mining boom in 2008, so you know, we started reaping the rewards of that boom from a work front and from a from a financial front. But uh, I was I was a bit of a curious cat still at the age of uh, 20 25, <laughs> and I still wasn't completely happy of where my life was going so i started doing a bit of reading as you do you know start listening to some podcasts and uh i came across this book which is i'll be honest it's probably the last book you're going to think would probably change your mindset and 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 your and your passion and your and your career path but i read a book called rich dad poor dad by robert kiyosaki and wow i read that because part of me i wanted to improve how I deal with my financials, right? Because that's one thing that you don't learn in, in the schooling curriculum is you don't learn how no, to deal no. with your financials, and that's one thing I think is should definitely change. Is that you come out of you come out of school, and if you go back straight into the workforce, you start earning money, and you got no idea what to do with it. Well, I mean, everyone knows yeah. how to spend money, but no one knows how to how to save money and invest. So, I read his his book because it was a financial book, and he just had some really really good life. Um, perspective, like he had a really good perspective on life and just, I guess I'd say like life rules and how he goes about life. And it kind of, it changed my state of mind and how I wanted to actually live my life. And, you know, he talked a lot about, you know, dealing with the fear of change and, and, and actually pursuing something that, that you're really passionate about. And it literally just flicked the switch. I was sitting at my desk, I finished the book and I was like, you know what, I, I, I've been in sport my whole life. I, I played football my whole life. I loved it. Um, you know, I was, I was always meal prepping. I was one of those guys who are really yep. into performance and trying to get the best out of myself. And, uh, I literally just went back home and, and I signed up for a course straight away and I had no idea how I was going to make it work because I had a full-time job and then I'm trying to go to this course. Uh, and I was, there was some, there was some big, big days ahead of me, but, uh, I ended up doing that and I studied um, health and fitness and became a coach and, um, yeah, I just it literally. I think I transitioned in two thousand and oh, geez, I don't know, fifteen or sixteen, and uh, never looked back, guys. Never looked back. It just uh, yeah, it's, wow. it's, and it's been a, it's been an absolute roller coaster since. It's moved pretty far. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I can, I can imagine. I can only imagine. It's, it's interesting. I think a lot of people, uh, and we're fortunate enough to be small business owners ourselves, but taking that big jump into doing something that you love. For us, it's the opposite end of the spectrum to you. We do gin. <laughs> Which is unhealthy. <laughs> <laughs> Still delicious, but uh, um, but just it, that's really, really cool to listen to. And I think a lot of people will be feeling the same, especially after COVID. Whilst the things have changed and, you know, there's a lot of remote work going on. I know there's a lot of people who are like, I'm just done with mm. whatever, whatever it is that they're doing. So yeah. to jump from engineering and and working in an office even in a mining boom to deciding what you actually wanted to do which was sport and fitness and nutrition mate that is epic so well done firstly for making that decision but also riding that roller coaster it's great yeah thank you it was it was scary because i you know i don't know if if people are aware of of how i guess the, the transition looks like becoming a personal trainer but you know i've gone from a very comfortable 40 hour salary week to all of a sudden, you know, you go to a gym and you're being charged rent and you have zero clients. So yep. it, it was, it was, uh, it was very scary, um, to a point where I was working both jobs and I didn't tell my employer about that. So I was coming in at the gym at 6am training people wow. until nine and then literally driving to, to, to the city getting changed in my car to put my shirt on and my, and my, and wow. my pants on and it's racing into the, into the office, work there till five back in my car, get changed into my gym gear and then train from six till 8 PM at night. And I did that until I had about 10 to 15 clients where I knew then if I, once I left my job, there was, there was a little bit of an income there to, to keep me to survive. Um, so there was, there was three months of like, 14, 14 hour days of just going Ooh. back and forth between jobs. Um, and you know, no one forced me to do that. That was, that was my decision, right? And that was, that was me wanting a change and that was me wanting to better my life. And so, yeah, that's, that's not me. Um, yeah, that was just something that I wanted to do. And I feel like if you're passionate about something, you will go the extra mile to do For that, sure. which is what I did. Yeah. I, and, and awesome that you stuck with it. I think, a lot of people might just see what you currently do and think, well, that's really cool and really shiny and traveling the world and, you know, hanging out with a mate who you also work with and others in the paddock to other Aussies or whoever, but so much goes on before the overnight success. Uh, I do a bit of music too. And there's, there's a saying that it's you know, like three years behind an overnight success before you can actually see it come to light. Yeah. Spot on. I, uh, I'll be honest. I, I, I did work my butt off. I really did. As soon as I made that transition, I'm like, okay, I've got 10 clients. I'm so, I'm so used to earning X amount. I, I you know, I need to make this work. I, I wanted to make this work. So I, um, I worked Monday, Monday to Saturday and I, I worked literally, I was my first client was 6am and my last client would finish at probably, I think eight, eight, eight thirty at night. And it was just, wow. just really just, it was completely different from sitting in a chair for eight hours to being up on your feet, lifting weights, you know, helping people and trying to have that energy for so, for, you know, all day long. Cause you know, you are, you are their role model. You are their coach. You're, you're, you know, they're trying to bre- get breed energy from you, you know? So it was a complete change and it, I, it, I won't lie. The transition was tough, but like, like I said, it was, it was my passion. It's what I wanted to make it work. So, you know, you, you just naturally work hard because that's just what, that's just what you want. So yeah, I'm, glad you uh you brought that up james because yeah it's not there's there's no real i mean there's rare overnight success but there's also a lot of hard work that goes into you know getting getting to where you i guess your your ideal position is yeah and certainly a lot of information that you consume in your instance not only the course that you've got but listening probably to other podcasts as you as you said and watching what other personal trainers are doing either really well or really poorly and deciding what kind of trainer you're going to be because the industry is rife with people who are not positive influences on people and and it's really it really hard for those clients or whomever to come back, as you say, being that role model and, and leader of insert how many people here who you've coached before now must, they must be very proud and happy for you to get to that point. But you know, there's others, other personal trainers now yeah. who are doing what you did every single day. Uh, and they're, they're heroes in their own right. So 
that's yeah, that's awesome, mate. So and and well done for for sticking with it because it's very easy to just throw the towel in and have fade in that in that passion and and think that it's it's not going to happen. But tell us then what did happen. When was the moment that you sort of departed that personal trainer line and and go into sports fitness or F one or what what was the step? Yeah, well, like I said, the transition was tough, but. What I noticed after the transition, my my business has boomed. I literally went went from ten clients to fifty, like in a matter of wow a month. And then I ended wow. up having to hire an apprentice to to take on the load <laughs> because I just had I was that in demand. And and so that that's where I was like, wow, this 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 three months of just stress has just been so rewarding. And so so business was going well. I was training athletes. I was training the average Joe. I was training a lot of corporate clients. Um, and I was enjoying that. I was enjoying going, you know, from those three different types of characters um, throughout the day. Mm. Um, I definitely felt I, I had, I could, I could give off a lot of value to each of the, each and one of them. And um, how it transitioned, I guess you could probably call it luck. Um, but I also say you create your own luck, right? And I, I wouldn't have created this luck if I did make the transition. I'd still be in that in that Perth office. So, yeah, um, yeah, it was probably a bit of luck, probably good timing and good fortune. Um, Daniel was finishing his 2017 season and he felt the need for a new coach um, due, due to all, all, um, all sorts of reasons. And uh, I'll actually never forget it. I, I woke up at 5.30 in the morning. Uh, no, sorry, I woke up at 5 a.m. because I was getting ready to, to go to work for my 6 a.m. client. And I saw a, a WhatsApp message from Daniel and it was at like 3 a.m. because he was, he was in European time. And he just said, "Hey, mate, I'm I'm heading back to Perth. Obviously, season's ending, so uh, it'd be good to have a chat. I was, I'd like to know if uh, you want to travel the world with me next year." Huh. And, just uh, drop that there. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I'm this is me like just woke up five a.m. <laughs> yeah. so groggy, and I'm like, okay, this guy's just like absolutely just having me on here because um, you know, <laughs> he's a joker, and, and you know, he, yeah. he, you know, we have a we we do throw a bit of banter at each other um, still to this day, so. I think I replied back something like, ha ha. Yeah. Thanks man. And, and, and like completely blew it off. Um, yeah. And, and I think he sensed that. So then like, I got like a reply like eight hours later, <laughs> later when he woke up and he's like, no, 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 seriously. Like, can we sit down and chat when I'm back in Perth? And I was like, Oh wow. Like, geez, this is, he's serious. Um, so yeah. So we, so we sat down in Perth when he came back to, to see family and um, he told me what he wanted in a coach and, and, uh, he was thinking about, you know, he wanted me to come on board and, um, which was an amazing, which was amazing for me. It's obviously changed my life. And so we, you know, we just, we discussed it and we discussed the relationship because, you know, part of my initial concerns was, okay, we're friends, but there has to be a very clear barrier between when I have my friend hat on. And then when I have my coaching yeah. hat on, there has to be a sense, there has to be a sense of respect for both, both parties there. Um, sure. cause you know, you know, the old cliche, never go to, never go into business with your, with your best mate. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, yeah, we I, made I, that mistake. Yeah. Yeah. I don't agree with it. I don't agree with it at all because you know, it, yeah. it's worked out with me with a couple of my mates already that I've gone into business with. So, um, you know, hearing that you're kind of like, okay, let's, let's set the barriers straight first. And, yeah. um, to be honest, we did that. And, uh, he was like, I think we, I think we agreed on like the 18th of December and he's like, I'm like, cool. So, uh, when do you need me? And he's like, kind of need you to move, uh, in January. I need to move, need you to move your life <laughs> over in January. And I'm like, wow. Okay. I've got four weeks to move my entire life into Europe. So, uh, Thanks. it was a, it was a hectic month after that. Oh man. But, oh, uh, man. Yeah. That, that was, uh, yeah. Four years ago and st- still, still in Europe. So, uh, there, that, that's, that's pretty much the story. That's how it came about. You could say luck, good fortune and, and good timing, I guess. Yeah, for sure. So, so what's going through your head? You're, you're training a big kind of varied client base. You're now going to work with a specific athlete in a very specific sport. What's the first thing you kind of do? Are you researching? Are you thinking about what are you going to change? What, what's the first thing crossing your mind? Yeah, good question. Um, the first, the first thing that crossed my mind was obviously a little bit of doubt. I think that's just natural. Anything you're kind of like, geez, am, am I prepared for this? Am I going to be the right fit for him? Because yes, of course you want to take the job on, but deep down it's you know you're also you, it's a big responsibility i'm not just going to take the job if i don't think i can make a difference for daniel because then i'd yep. be jeopardizing his career which is the last thing any coach would want to do for their clients sure. so 
there was a little bit of doubt if I was ready to take that next big step. So what I did, um, uh, Tommy, I, I pretty much, <laughs> it, it's pretty funny. I, I, I bought, uh, I bought uh, the F1 history book and just started reading up some history in F1 because I'll, yep. I'll be honest, I only started watching F1 when Daniel made it. Um, I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't a massive fan of it, obviously following his, his, uh, his career path. And once he made it, I started watching it. So read a bit of history on it to learn a bit about it. Um, read a few F1 books, read a bit about, uh, I guess the, yeah, I guess how, just, just how, how, how motorsport is as, yes. as a general rule of thumb and just t- trying to understand the sport before I trying to understand how to train him. So that mm-hmm. was, that was the first thing I did. And then the second thing was, was what I kind of, I found out as I got into the job was shit. I got a lot more time than I think because I've gone from 50, like okay. 50 clients to one. Yeah. I actually struggled with that transition. Um, wow. quite a lot. It was, it, was, it sound, may sound weird, but I did because yep. you, you have so much time. And then because you got so much time, you're almost like second guessing yourself. You're like, well, I obviously, I obviously can be doing more or what am I missing here? What am I not doing? Or does he expect me to be doing more than this? But, uh, so yeah, that was kind of like the transition period. So you mentioned you didn't really know much about Formula One. Well, maybe not know, but really be into it beforehand. Was there someone like Mark Webber or Mark Webber's trainer or anyone in the paddock that you reached out to or was it literally you just read the history book and, and that was your in? So, I, I, yeah, I read I read a lot and then once I once I uh, got welcomed into the Red Bull team, I obviously started meeting – I met a lot of his engineers and I uh, – I buddied up with Max's trainer, Jake, who is now a very close friend of mine still. And awesome. Jake was, was a nice little uh, person that I could lean on. Um, we, we obviously, we didn't talk much about training because obviously that's very personal and that's where as a, as a, a driver and coach relationship, that's where you want to try and gain your one, 2% advantage over the other competitors yep. because it is a one to 2% type of sport where you're trying to find every inch of it, of advantage. Mm. But he kind of gave me a bit more. Um, he gave me some advice on, like, you know, what to expect, how, how to how to go about it, and um, also Daniel's old trainer. Um, so Daniel had a trainer going going through the roots of F one. Um, a guy called Stuart Smith. Um, I had like uh, I guess I guess monthly or fortnightly debriefs with him, um, just cool. to just to ensure that he knew that I was taking the right steps. So I, I was lucky enough to have two people within F one that I could kind of just ask any questions that I had. So I, I felt comfortable. Um, to be honest, he, Daniel won the third race of the year. So after he won that, I was like, oh, wow, okay, this is good. Yeah. Cause like, <laughs> yeah. you know, coming into the season, I was, I was, I was pretty like, I was pretty stressed. I won't lie. Cause I was like, okay, yeah. you know, I need to make sure he has a good season. Cause you know, Daniel was coming off two strong seasons and then he won like our th- my third race. He won in China and I, and that kind of really just t- took the load off me. And I thought, okay, we're doing something right here. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So you're in F1. Is there, and look, I'm sure lots of people who would meet Daniel would choose that as their favorite pinch me moment, but you obviously go back with him. So you, you couple of blokes and you've entered the paddock. Is there anyone that you were like, oh, it's really just cool to meet this person? Yeah, it's a complete standout. Um, first year, so he, he won China and then two races later, he polled in Monaco and he won Monaco. So he's won two of the first six. And I was just, the, the pinch me moment was on the grid. The race is about to start. We're in pole position. We're literally at the, at the start finish line of Monaco. There's, there's people everywhere. And wow. uh, we had Bella Hadid, Tom Brady, and Dan Carter standing right next to me on the grid. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to, con- yeah, I'm trying to concentrate on Dan. And I got these three absolutes, <laughs> like I think they were tag representatives at the time. So Red Bull has a yeah. major sponsor as tag. So these three guys standing on the pole position with me, and I was just, uh, yeah, that was a complete pinch me moment. And that's something that I will never forget. That was just, that was huge. That's so cool, man. That is yeah. so cool. Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to beat that. <laughs> That's like, pretty damn good. Yeah. In my mind, I was like, just stay professional. Just just stay professional yeah. and focus on Dan. <laughs> I'm sweating a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wanted a photo with those guys so bad. <laughs> yeah. Don't ask for a photo. Don't ask for a photo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, 
So, I mean, that's that's awesome that you know he's he's done that so you know quickly, and and you've you're feeling a little bit like you probably belong. But was the biggest challenge personally for you that a little bit of imposter syndrome, which a lot of people, especially in Australia, I feel like suffer from, or was there another challenge that you found? Um, for me, that the biggest challenge was the lifestyle. Um, you know, it sounds glamorous and yes, of course it does. And I was excited about it. It's like, Oh wow. You get to travel every week. You go to different countries, um, you know, 23 countries a year, you're living out of a suitcase, but it's not for everyone. It really isn't like it's, Mm. it's, it's a tough lifestyle. And and I noticed that probably about four races in where Mm. you're literally living out of a suitcase and there's so much alone time. There's so much alone time where you're in your hotel by yourself. Um, there's so much that so many, um, so much like transitioning from airports to hotels where you're by yourself in a car. And I, I struggled to, to deal with my alone time. It's, it's something that when I was in Perth, every time I had an alone time, I would either be training or I'd be calling up a mate and you'd be going for a drink or you'd be doing something social. So I never was a big fan of, of, of alone time. And all of a sudden I've then been hit with all this time to myself um, I got homesick, like pretty bad. Mm. Like where I was, I was, re- I, was, I was like, why I started feeling quite miserable. And then because I'm feeling miserable, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you're like, you look at the job you're in, like, why aren't you happy? Yeah. And then it really started to play in my mind. Um, and it wasn't until the year actually passed. I, I, you know, had a bit of a debrief with myself. I realized I was like, okay, this, I think this is what it is. It's because I'm just not used to doing having alone time and not knowing what to do with myself. So I actually found that the lifestyle change just going from, you know, a normal routine in Perth to a complete 360. I found that was, that was the hardest point where I know probably hearing it and hearing it on on this podcast may not sound like you may not be able to correspond or or relate to it, but it, it really was, it was, it was really hard. You sort of seem like the kind of guy that's very relationship focused. I love building relationships with people and engaging and maybe more sort of overtly focused. And I think yeah, you're absolutely right. The the What is shown on TV is certainly a part of it. But then we all go back to our normal day jobs or whatever. And, you know, you're traveling again, often by yourself. It's not like you're always with Daniel or, or the team. So, yeah, d- difficult. And and I wonder if that's where we'll talk about this in a little bit, but the business idea comes from, because if you're left alone and you want to start doing things, I suppose you start drawing things on napkins. Um, but before that, what's the culture like? This is a question because again, this is something we don't get to see, but mm-hmm. for, for you and other trainers, um, there's a couple of trainers who are well known in the paddock and, and now again, because of Netflix, you're probably one of them. Um, but What's the culture like between you and others? Yeah, I mean, the culture in F1, it, it's quite a tight-knit group, as you could probably imagine. Like, you know, you've got all teams in, in this one paddock and you see each other so much for the, for the year. So, you know, everyone does kind of know everyone, which is, which is nice. I think it's a, it's a good tight-knit group um, within the paddock. And that does extend from teams, you know, even the Sky Sports presenters and, and stuff like that. Everyone knows each other, talks. Um been a bit difficult since COVID, you know, you got to stay within your bubble now. Sure. So haven't been able to, to, yeah. to chat to people as much, but um, yeah, the culture is good. Obviously each team has its own different type of unique culture. Mm. So I've, I've been lucky enough to experience three teams already uh, through Red Bull, Renault and now McLaren. So that's been um, really great for my own perspective on, on how teams operate um, and just taking away a few, few little key aspects to, to each team and how we can help them. Um, the culture within yeah. trainers is really good. You know, I, I think cool. trainer to trainer, uh, you know, you, you, you're, autom- you're automatically just going to resonate with them, right? Because one, mm-hmm. they have the same passion as you. Two, they're doing the same thing as you. So the first thing I did in my first year in 2018 was get to know as many trainers as I could. And I did that. Nice. And um, it's, it's been great. I, I've got some amazing relationships with, with a lot of the trainers uh, within the paddock and they, you know, they, they stay quite tight knit. You know, if, if you're in the same hotel, um, again, pre COVID, you know, you'd have drinks mm-hmm. together as, as a little core yeah. group and, and, uh, yeah, talk all things training if you, if you want, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but yeah, I, I guess we're just all regular guys. Right. And we'll, and we all got yep. the same interests, the same passion. So 
um, I think you're automatically just going to connect and find a find a positive relationship there. Yeah, for sure. Um, you mentioned the three teams you've been at. What were like the, the big differences you noticed just from a culture or how they went about certain things? What were some of the bigger kind of changes that you saw across the three? Um, I think the biggest one was the winning mentality. I think that was the biggest one. So starting at Red Bull and then transitioning to Renault, obviously Red Bull was a four-time world championship team. A lot of those staff members are still there, so mm, they yep. they've seen success. They've seen they've been mm-hmm. at the top, and they're potentially coming into every race knowing that they have an opportunity to win. Right? Like, yes, Mercedes is the best car, but still, as a Red Bull, as a, being in Red Bull, you're still you're still you still are coming into every race knowing that there is a chance you can win. So already your yep. mind your mindset is completely different to the mindset of where we were in Renault, where obviously our goals and our um, ambitions were a bit different. So I think the biggest thing was the, the winning mindset and um, I guess trying to transition that that mindset from Renault to uh, make, try and, you know, help, help them believe, right? Help them believe that they can yeah. get there, yeah? Because, you know, I think when we rocked up, they, they finished fourth in the championship, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, they're trying to make that next big step, but... Um, you know, part of that is actually believing you can get there. So that was something that I, I really wanted to hone in with the team and something that I, I focused on with Daniel was coming into Renault. I, I wanted him to really take a leadership role and and prove mm. to these guys that they are good enough to be at the top. They just got to really believe in it and they got to work hard. So that was probably the biggest difference. So as I've mentioned, uh, really you've sort of become one of the better known trainers now, thanks to Netflix and really thanks to Daniel being ridiculous on camera thinking that they weren't <laughs> going to put that content on television and then that's come on and, and everyone loves that. Um, what was it like going, it, mentally preparing yourself, obviously going into Formula 1 was one thing and going, yeah, okay, well, Daniel's well known and, and now I'm going to be around him, but then getting more attention again. Could you prepare yourself at all for that? No. I, I personally don't think so. Looking back now, I don't think anything can prepare you for it. Um, it's pretty much just get thrown in the deep end and then just deal with <laughs> it. And that literally was it. Like my first race was Melbourne Grand Prix and that is DR's home race. And, yeah. you know, we're on a flight and he's just like, by the way, just to warn you, there's no other race like this. And I was like, <laughs> what, what, I was like what do you mean? He's like, it's mayhem. And I was like, okay, so – you know, in my head, I'm trying to build it all up. And then I got to the track and I, I, it was mayhem. <laughs> I've never yeah. seen, seen so many fans just like screaming his name. And it was just so busy and hectic. And it was, it was crazy. Like that, that weekend was a complete blur. There was, it was such an emotional roller coaster that first ever race. I think DR was, I think he got, he caught, got caught speeding in P3. So he got a three place grid penalty. So already like the Saturday night after qualifying, we're already dealing with some adversity on my first ever race. Um, (laughs) Red Bull threw me up in the paddock club and they're like, Oh, you know, do you mind speaking to our hundred guests? They just want to ask you some questions. (laughs) And I I was like, Oh, okay, cool. So I'm all of a sudden I'm, (laughs) I'm standing in front of like these VIP guests and they're asking me about jet lag protocols and, and I'm like, guys, I'm, st- <laughs> I'm still working this out. <laughs> you did. You know I've only I mean? just moved into my apartment and I'm back yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. So like that weekend was exactly what I was talking about. They literally just threw me in the deep end and just went, ah, you'll figure it out, figure it out. And, uh, yeah. so yeah, that, that's oh, pretty man. much what it was is just, just figure it, figure it out as, as we go on. For sure. So Dan's talked about it before, how, it can be the most chaotic race for him because of everyone wants his attention. He, everyone wants a piece of Daniel at Melbourne. How do you as a coach and a mate mm. help him lock in and get the best out of himself for that weekend? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and look, I won't lie, Tommy. It's, it's been a bit of a struggle. Um, and it's something that we're still trying to get to grips with um, from a, a scheduling perspective, because obviously Daniel has a lot of sponsors. He has, 
mm-hmm. a lot of media commitments that he, you know he's tied to when he gets to his home country, which is which is fair enough, right? It's 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 where he's come it's where he come from. He's he's repping the Australian flag. Everyone in Australia is super proud of him. Well, I hope, mm. and yeah. uh, and, yeah, you know, and, and they, they want to see him when he when he lands in Melbourne. So I I, I understand that one hundred percent, and I get that, but unfortunately there's no happy medium when it comes to Melbourne, you know, like, you know, we're there. The bigger picture is obviously he's, he's paid to to perform. Right. And unfortunately yep. when we get to Melbourne, it doesn't feel like we can optimize his performance because his schedule is just so busy. And, mm. you know, I, I saw that firsthand in 2018 and I saw that firsthand in 2019. He, he was literally, he looked exhausted before the race oh. and, you know, he start, I don't know if you guys remember, but he literally went off to start and lost yep. his front spoiler yep. on the first, you know what I mean? And like, for me, I was upset, but also in my mind, I was like, I'm not surprised because it was just, it was such a crazy weekend. And, um, we then made changes for, for last year to try and, to yep. try and get our head around it. But then obviously COVID hit. So the race got canceled. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely one of the toughest races to manage from a performance perspective what I usually try and do for Daniel is just to try and make his weekend as seamless as possible. And what I mean by that is ensuring that as soon as he has those 10 minutes, his lunch plate is there for him just to eat. He doesn't have to think, right? His, his water's yeah. there. His high, his supplements are there. When, you know, before we leave the track, I pack his bag so he doesn't have to grab everything and put everything in his back. He can just grab his bag. We get back home, yep. I'll order the food, you know, and then boom, cool. All right, now go straight to bed. Don't worry. Um, when you, what you're going to wake up at this time and I've got this sorted for you. So it's just trying to keep his, his weekend as seamless as possible and doing the most basic things, but they add up over time. Yeah. It's interesting that, I mean, obviously we see that you are sometimes carrying his helmet or you're putting something on there or whatever else. So were you expecting that really it's more like you're an executive assistant sometimes or personal assistant rather sometimes, and then coach sometimes as well? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you could label it like that, but I think that's just part of the role, right? Like, like when yeah, I yeah. first when I first started the job, I thought it was just about train, train, train. Like, let's get this guy in yeah, peak yeah. performance, and then, yep. So we've done this preseason, and then all of a sudden, like we we didn't, we didn't we weren't training as much. We were just focusing on nutrition on, on nutrition and recovery because yeah, you, you're crossing so many time zones, right? So you're always mm. jet lagged. Um, you're in the air a lot, which is, just makes you so lethargic. So this is mm-hmm. where this is when I was reaching out to the trainers. I'm like, dude, like, we haven't trained this week. Like, is that okay? And they're like, yeah, yeah. I was like, just chill out. Like, obviously, like he needs to be he needs to be prepared to perform, right? You know. So I learned very quickly that it's not all about training the job. It's all, it's about being you know helping him to optimize recovery, but also being a sounding board because there are going to be times mm-hmm. throughout the year. You know, it's I think it's one of the longest seasons in any sport in the world. You know, you start in March, you end in December. Yep. It's crazy long, right? So th- there's going to be battles. You know, m- motorsport is a roller coaster of a, of a ride because there's so many contingencies that can affect your performance that's out of your control. And I think that's the yes. hardest thing for an athlete to endure is when mm. your problems occur around you that is out of your control. That is when frustration kicks in, like, big time yes. because you, you just, you can't do anything about it. You, you feel helpless, right? So this is when the emotional roller coaster can kick in. And this is when as a coach, you do need to take your coaching hat off on. And this is where I put my friend hat on and you become mm. a sounding board. So yeah, you could say EA, you could say psychiatrist, you could say whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> Not but, many uh, hats. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's literally just part of the role and it's something that, you know, as a coach in general, that's something that you should be should be fully um, fully aware of and should be fully about because that's that's part of the process. Yeah, a lot of that time it, it is almost like you're leading him, right? As you say, it's you're, you're doing things for him so he doesn't have to think about it. But not only as a mate and obviously someone that he can trust, which is probably one of the reasons why he asked you to begin with, but your skill and your understanding of working in a big corporation before jumping across to, to follow your passion and what that's like, convert that to, you know, now McLaren or Renault or Red Bull and the, what he needs to be doing, just being able to lead to him, lead him rather. And for him to just go, I know Michael's got it. So I can just could have sort of tie into everything else is 
probably such an important reason as to why he's, you know, everyone's like, oh, he's one of the best drivers on the grid. It's like, yeah, he is really talented, but there's all this other stuff behind the scenes that you have probably helped with a lot since, since you've been there, which is really, really cool to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. Spot on. DR has a very, very good, um, inner team around him and that stems from his family, his friends, um, and then his, his management team as well. And he's got, he's got a very, very good inner circle around him that are very honest with him and their, their best interest is him. And that's very important as an athlete to have people that you can trust because, yeah. uh, it, it's, it's a big wide world out there. And then, you know, when you become famous, there's, there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of people that want a PCR. So, uh, it's good to have For sure. you know, people within that inner circle to, uh, one, keep him grounded and two um, have that trust, that trust factor with, which he, he definitely does have. Here's a really important question for you. Do you have any influence of, over what he listens to before the race <laughs> and after the race? Zero influence. <laughs> uh, when, it come, when, when it comes to music, that is his jam, my friend. If I, if I give him any music advice, I reckon he'll, he'll throw me out of our race room. <laughs> <laughs> I saw in your AMA on Instagram the other day that you're a Mumford & Sons fan, which is definitely a vibe. I'm all about that. Um, nice. I, I'm, I guess you've met them, but I will, if I'm in a busy mindset, they're actually basically all of their music, but their albums are so good to just get into a zone. Um, and I'm sure, and you know, then similarly, DR is probably all about like what you listen to. Yeah, of course. He's a good guy. <laughs> what, but when what, you're in the coach. what do you listen to, Tommy? Tommy? Oh man, anything. I used to play in a hardcore band, a very, very crap hardcore band back in the day. But <laughs> oh. looking at DR's playlist, I was like, oh, I see a lot of familiar things. Yeah, good guy. You walk into the roastery here where <laughs> Tommy's roasting coffee, and it's almost like going onto DR's um, Spotify pre-race playlist. You're like, wow, I'm so hyped up to what well, the coffee well, wants to smell coffee. <laughs> I'll, I'll, su- I'll surprise you guys. His his music varies a lot so yes he loves the hardcore stuff but it depends on where we are and i guess the he his state of mind going into a race so sometimes yeah like coming to coming into qualifying i want dr in a very relaxed state because in qualifying it's different you're just trying to do the perfect lap where a race yeah you need to be on for two hours so that's when he likes to be a little bit more g'd up and whatnot, but yeah, yeah. Uh, so his music does vary, and what I mean by vary is because driving to the track this, you know, last Saturday uh, is a forty-minute drive from our from our hotel to Imola. You know, he's got Taylor Swift Exile on. You know, and just yeah, see the way to that. So my man, yeah, <laughs> I love it. that. So like, off the so table. Then, go go with it all. Yeah. So there's a bit of there's a bit of heartfelt music in there. There's a bit of country that, that pops up now and then, and then when he's ready to get g'd up, that's when the, the heavy metal kicks in. So. He, he has yeah. a bit of variety to, to his music, definitely. I like that. But when you're coaching, you mm. control the iPod, am I right? I'm not allowed to. I'm, if there's one thing, if there's, if there's one thing <laughs> it that I can't contract. control, it's music. <laughs> it's like if my if my phone is connected to the car on Bluetooth, it's the first thing he does, he gets in the car. It's not even a hello. It's like disconnected Bluetooth. This guy. It's just Sometimes I've got zero control. I got zero control. And you know what? I'm not fighting it because, to be honest, he's got pretty good taste in music. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not. A, oh yeah, yeah. yeah so it's fine. And he's all about some Australian artists too, which is really important. And I think he's, and especially through the stuff that he's like done on his own channel on YouTube, just promoting a lot of some Perth groups too yeah. has been awesome to do that. Like he's not, yeah, he's, it, it doesn't seem like he's doesn't want to use his fame to to use that sentence to try and help other people along no he's just he purely has a passion for music and it wouldn't be it wouldn't surprise me if he somehow ventured within the music industry post f1 career maybe he could just hide on a rap song like hamilton did <laughs> well, maybe maybe maybe, maybe tommy needs another lead singer for his band or something who knows <laughs> done <laughs> Man, he'd be a great front man. <laughs> they, they wouldn't be coming for the music. Mate. <laughs> he likes hey. coffee. He likes coffee. So if you're roasting him coffee, I don't know. That could be a little. That could, that could sway him. Well, um, we'll yeah, we'll try and send you something which will be impossible. We'll just send it to Perth. <laughs> send it to Perth. It'd be old and stale by the time he gets it. But yeah. anyway, um, mate, one of the things that 
as I said at the beginning, and, and as we've emailed backwards and forwards, that I, I really love about what you're doing is your own business stuff. Um, Thanks. And F1's very exciting and it's cool. And yes, Daniel's cool. But um, from a business point of view and people who listen to this podcast as well, I know there's plenty of entrepreneurs and people who are in leadership roles in either really big multinationals or others. Um, and I shared a, a business podcast with you that I'll share with other people too. But when was it that you decided uh, there's a gap in the market here and I'm going to try and help fix that and help people? It was probably end of 2018. Like I said, when I did a, a massive review and I realized something was missing in my life and I knew that I, I, I wanted to, I guess, do more. I'm not the type of guy who likes to just sit on the couch and just watch Netflix. I, I like knowing I could probably do more. And because I'm so passionate about it, I, I definitely wanted to do something. And like I said, like, I've gone from 50 clients to one client and then all of a sudden after a year, I really missed having that impact on people's lives. So that's mm. when I kind of had the idea, okay, I'm going to start my own um, global online fitness um, platform. And so I started that um, the start of, I mean, there's, there's a lot of planning involved. So I started that uh, March, 2020. So it's only been going for a year. It's very, it's very wow. raw. Yes. Um, yes. le- learning a lot about business, which is exciting. And, you know, I, I've taken, I've taken a big risk. I've, I've, I've invested quite a bit into this from time and, and effort. So, um, mm-hmm. but again, it's, it's reminded me why I've done it, you know, like getting the feedback I'm getting from people all over the world. It's, it's amazing. Yes. And it puts a smile on my face and, you know, we, we're actually, we're about to launch a big, big update this week where we got a bit of an app feature kicking in and I'm actually going to start taking cool. on um, you know, clients, um, as a, from, from an online coaching perspective, whether you're an athlete Amazing. or corporate or, or someone who just wants to improve their general well-being, So yeah, I, I miss that side of it and it's only mm. been going on for a year, like I said, but I haven't regretted it. It's, it's been, it's been amazing. And I think, you know, we've, we've, we're, we're in over 40 countries now, which is so cool. We've got this, you know, wow. this, you know, this community that, they're just so tight knit, you know, they've, um, I've created like a Facebook group with all the members and they all, yep. like, they all like zoom call each other and do zoom, zoom workouts with it, with each other now. So they've found like fitness buddies and it's just so cool, man. Like I, I love that stuff. It's the whole reason why I got into it. Right. So yeah, that, yeah. That, the moment was probably after the first year is when I thought, no, I, I think I want to do more, but also I think I can give more to people. I think, yeah. I, I think having an online presence will be able to give, you know, I'll be able to give more knowledge to people. Um, and so that's what I've been trying to aspire to do. And I love that on your Instagram, uh, you'll share stories of people who tag you. Uh, one a couple of weeks ago is their, their very young child working out with them. Yeah. And like, that's awesome. Like you're building a community and you're helping people and it's in a fitness sense, but you're also, you're not bigger than, you know, your own name on the brand. So you're still wanting to invest in that. And again, like it's, I don't know if that's necessarily an Australian thing, but it's very genuine. And yeah, um, yeah it, it's, it's awesome, man. Uh, we're just trying to get campy onto your platform, but that will take a, <laughs> you, you can't see him, but that will take a hard thing to do. Uh, what was the biggest challenge for you, uh, not with a small business background, um, right at the very beginning? So you've decided you've written the napkin as all small business owners do. Mm-hmm. What was the challenge that really stood out? Not doing everything yourself. <laughs> I feel like it's that is the wrong. biggest challenge. You know, when, when you start something and it's your baby, you want control of everything. You want everything to be perfect. You want to do it. your like, you want, you want to do everything. And then all of a sudden the project becomes bigger than you. And you realize that one, other people can do a better job than you in specific fields. Mm-hmm. And two, sometimes you got to let go and put trust into someone else to, to make sure that they're doing the right job. So that was the biggest that was probably the biggest difficulty for me um, because yeah, I've never, I've never really had to, like I said, never start up a business before. And, and I like you know being a coach, usually as a coach, you're always the one taking charge. And, and, you know, so uh, here I was taking charge of my business and thinking I could do everything. And then I realized I just didn't have the time. So, you know, I had to start, um, you know, contracting out certain, certain roles and, yeah. Now, now looking back, it's, it's something that, you know, you, you learn and I'm still, I still am learning. I'm still, I'm still learning about the, the you know, the e-commerce industry, the fitness industry. Um, yeah. uh, the online industry is a, is a, is a, is a crazy world, man. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the biggest challenge would have been definitely 
um, understanding that you can't do everything. Yeah, letting go is incredibly hard. Yep. <laughs> we know that yeah. desperately, desperately. Yeah. Yes. Um, one in part of the the question that I ask a lot of people about businesses and why they do it is what problem does your business solve? You obviously saw a gap in the market, but what was the big problem that you went, Michael Italiano, the online coaching program, fitness nutrition situation is going to solve? So what I saw was just like the fitness industry hit a boom, right? I'm pretty sure it's it probably started two, three, probably more, five years ago. And what I realized, everyone was just bombarding the app store with, with fitness apps. And to be honest, mm. the people creating these apps had zero, have zero fitness um, <laughs> experience and it's true they don't they're just they're just yeah. it guys who are just creating yeah. trying to create a fitness app because they see there's a, there's a gap in the market and i noticed that there wasn't much simplicity to a lot of these apps um and they kind of just overcomplicate the process and they, they kind of lost the lost the the, the the coaching feel of, of what how it should how the journey should look like from a client perspective so that's what i've that's what i'm doing with with my with my platform i'm trying to keep it keep it simple and we pretty much break it down. And so what, what I've done now with the upgrade this this coming this week is you take a lifestyle quiz and it's literally just a quiz about, it's, it's nine questions about your lifestyle. And it talks about what are your bad habits? Well, um, you know, uh, do you struggle with your sleep? Do you have, you know, do you, how many um, units of alcohol do you have per week? Um, what are your weaknesses when it comes to nutrition? Um, you know, and then, so then all of a sudden I get all this information on your lifestyle and then you break it down into a program and a nutrition tailored nutrition plan because what I notice is there's heaps of really good programs and nutrition um, plans out there, but you also have to tailor that to your specific lifestyle because yeah. what I realized, um, you know, when I first started out is especially coaching, um, you know, I coach a couple of nurses and a couple of like um, corporates, they don't have time for these perfect tailored nutrition mm. plans and, and these 45 yeah. to 60 minute programs that I'm, that I'm giving them, you know, like, it has to be, you know, it has to be tailored. So this is where I've, I've kind of gone, used my experience. And then now I'm now adapting this into, into my, my platform to keep it simple and adopt it to your lifestyle because everyone's lifestyle is unique. Yeah. That's, that's so cool. So what's been your sort of standout moment of creating it? The standout moment was is definitely being the the community group. So the Facebook community group where every yeah. member joins. Um, you don't have to be a member, by the way. You can also just join to be part of the group. But that was probably the biggest standout moment where I got people from Turkey, Russia, um, Philippines, and then obviously you know Australia, UK, uh, America. They're all reaching out. You know. Um, training with each other, giving each other advice. You know, there's people messaging, Hey guys, I need some motivation this week. And then all of a sudden you've got 60 comments of people like reaching out. I'm like, this, this yeah, is, wow. this is what this is about. So this is that, that has been the best thing. And probably the number one motivator for me has been the members, like the community group and seeing how all of a sudden we got 2000 people in there and it's just, they're just so tight knit, you know, like I told you, they're training together now and, that, you know, they're, they're posting stuff on their stories and, you know, of all their results. And that's honestly, it, it, it brings a smile to my face when I see that. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really cool. That's so good, man. Yeah. Sweet. Um, so we're, we're in the season. We've, we've had two races so far. How are you finding it? Mate, really good. Been a really good start for McLaren. I think, yeah, first race, P4, P7, and now a P3 and a P6. So, Really good. The team's sitting third at the moment. Um, the cars made a, a really good step. Obviously, still a lot of room to improve to to be up to the to Red Bull and Mercedes standard. But uh, all in all, you know, um, to get, to give the viewers or the listeners a bit of insight, um, changing teams is tough because one, yeah, man, every single part of a car is factory made. So every single bit of that McLaren is is different to a Renault or a Red Bull. So Daniel has a lot of homework. He knows that. That's no surprises. We obviously went through that transition in 2019, going from Red Bull to Renault. Um, so he has a lot to learn, and there's there's a lot to do. There's a lot, a lot particularly with the type of driving style he needs for this particular car that did, was working well with a Red Bull or Renault, but is not working well with McLaren. So. So yeah, so when you say how's it going, you know, taking a, a P7 and a P6, 
that that's a win for us definitely um you know we have some yeah. small small goals and that you know that we we set ourselves to every week um and we're hitting those and going from race one to race two daniel has made some pretty big steps from a from a driving perspective with a car so we'll just keep building and uh i have no doubt that the, the aussie fans will see daniel in full flight uh very very, very soon in that mclaren Good to hear. Oh, yeah, man. And I mean, there's a couple of journalists here who aren't really Formula One people who just say, oh, you made a mistake leaving Red Bull and Renault. And unfortunately, in this country, we have to deal with such rubbish. But it's nice to hear. This is why we do this show. But it's it's good to, to hear that from you too. Yeah. Um, I, Daniel's done a couple of posts about him working out remotely. Obviously, I'm sure you design some remote programs. But when you're together... Working out in cool places is a thing that you can do. What is the coolest place you two have ever worked out in? Jeez, that's a good question. Um, it's got to be Monaco. Well, to be honest, in Monaco, it's in his house. <laughs> so because we're so used to it, it just feels like yeah. I saw home. a pretty cool beach run. Um, <laughs> okay, there's one that springs to mind. We um, so in June, there's usually Baku, and then we go into Canada. So there's a double header there. Yep. So usually before Canada, well, we, we attempted this um, in 2019. We thought, okay, how about we go to New York for three days and then it's a six-hour drive from New York to Montreal and we can see like Great. some really cool like places along the way. So glad we did that. It was amazing. We got we got on the time zone earlier and the six-hour drive was really mm, cool. But yeah. we had this uh, really cool like rooftop Air- Airbnb and we had like a couple mornings where literally on the rooftop uh, in, you know, I think we were in Williamsburg or just outside, but like so obviously good. looking at New York City. And uh, man, training on that rooftop with that view was was pretty cool. I won't lie, it was yeah, nice. it was really cool. So that was probably what, like some cool a cool place where we've trained. Um, Tommy, you are right. There is a run along Monaco, um, along the coast, along the ocean. That's really really um, picturesque. So yes, I don't get sick of that run. Um, a lot of the yep. a lot of the trainers know that run because <laughs> a lot of the drivers do that. So <laughs> you, yeah, usually yeah. when you run, you're, you're waving. It's like uh, <laughs> you, feel, you feel quite popular, but you don't realise that you guys are the only ones there. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. I don't know if you, I don't know if you want more, but uh, yeah, no, that's pretty cool. Oh, LA, LA is quite oh. cool. So so yeah. doing a, a couple runs up in up in Beverly Hills. That's actually really cool too. They're probably the top three. Yeah, nice. And probably a little bit easier in the US, well, maybe before Netflix, but you're not as well known potentially there as well. So you can sort of afford to go to a couple more places and not necessarily have the hat and sunglasses type situation <laughs> that I'm sure you'd have to have here. If you ever went for a run along a beach, you'd have about 10,000 people running after you. Well, you, say, you are right, but since Netflix, his profile has boomed in, in America. And I've, yeah. I've noticed that we can't. he can't technically walk down a street in America anymore, but when it comes to when it comes to Perth, if we're running, it's actually not too bad because we just put on a bit of a pace. So by the time they see him, we're gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, nice. But if we're if we're doing like a weights training or something, then yeah, that's when we probably ke- have to keep it private or we're probably not getting any training done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Although Perth, pretty like I grew up in Kalamunda and the oh, vibe was pretty chill. Wicked. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, that, that's the whole vibe. I, I don't know how to ask it as a question, but I am obsessed <laughs> with neck workouts. Yeah. <laughs> Can you give me some insight? I, like Daniel's neck must be insanely strong. All Formula One drivers have to put an immense load of weight and energy through the, through the G-forces. Can you just talk a bit about how you go about training his neck and getting him ready to survive that? Yeah. Well, we train his neck the most throughout the year. I think we train his neck like maybe every second day we train his neck. So that's probably one, that's probably one muscle we train all year round, no matter where, no matter where we are in the calendar season. Um, and for the people, for the people listening that have to understand why it's because he wears a helmet. That's, that's quite heavy. And when he's driving through these around, around the track, uh, he experiences G force and G force is almost like, Pretty much as you see the way we train with a harness on his neck and, and I'm pulling the harness, it's pretty much feels like that. It feels like someone is pulling your neck either side or, or, or laterally as well. So, or longitudinally, I should say. So, um, his neck has to be extremely strong, um, mainly because these cars are just getting quicker. So every year, yeah. every year, there's just, they're just going to experience more G-force, right? So our PBs that we hit last year, 
heading into the, every every preseason, we always know that we have to be we need to be better because yeah, the cars wow. are going to be faster, which means he's going to experience more G force. So we use a neck harness for that, and we use some resistance bands as well to hold some long resistance bands to hold hold tension through the neck. And um, yeah, we do that. Like I said, twice um, every second day, we'll chat. We'll we'll, um, we'll train his neck. So he has a very strong neck. Um, he, he gives me crap a lot about um, having a bigger neck than me because I always, I always give him crap about being skinny and that I'm bigger than him. So uh, I've, I've actually, I've actually started back. my own neck program to try and get a bigger neck than him. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I, will, I will warn people that want to do their neck. Firstly, there are, there are very dangerous YouTube videos out there how to train the neck. So please, oh. please I, I, will, I will post a video on how to train the neck safely. Uh, so just be careful. And also you don't want too much of a big neck because I noticed Daniel's neck is so big. Uh, when he sleeps at night, he, he, he snores. He probably hate that I say that, but he snores because his neck is so big. He's like, he can't get air through. He can't get air through. <laughs> so just be warned. That's so great. Outstanding. Uh, so you obviously do nutrition alongside exercise. Uh, in terms of Daniel, and then I guess widely as well, why is this might sound like a bit of a dumb question, but why is nutrition so important to do in conjunction with the actual exercise? Yeah, no, it's it's um, not, a, not a dumb question at all. So, um, being in Formula One, these drivers have to keep a very strict uh, weight, body weight, before they hop into the car. It's and the reason for that is because they engineer the car um, based on a specific weight of, of the of the driver. And if you're half a kilo heavier than what they initially proposed you'd be at, you're automatically probably losing one tenth a lap, um, which is wow. which is huge. You know, it's 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 point yeah. one of a second. And you know, if if you don't know Formula One, it sounds like nothing, but point one of a second can be the difference between qualifying p5 or p12 sometimes like if it's very close or yeah. probably a bit dramatic p5 to p10 maybe um so you need to really make sure you're hitting your weight target for quality and for race so that's why nutrition one that's the first reason why nutrition is important is to make sure that he sticks to the his, his weight and also to make sure that he's he's in peak performance to perform right like if if you're if, if you're not nutritionally sound one, you're probably going you know, to have your muscles are going to be depleted, and two, you're probably going to hit fatigue faster than any other driver out there. And and if there's one thing I know about fatigue is, well, if everyone should know, is that as soon as you hit fatigue, your performance will start to taper. So, mm. so as soon as as soon as a driver starts fatiguing, his lap time is going to be affected, and you don't want that when you're in a race. So, the the biggest role as a coach is to make sure he's nutritionally sound and he's physically conditioned to delay that onset of fatigue as late as possible. You know, like you want to be, you want to be the most fittest driver with the last 10 laps to go. Cause sometimes those last 10 yeah. laps when you're battling for a, for a podium and, and you're under fatigue, that's when the better drivers really shine is those last 10 laps. And I suppose from looking at your business side as well, you, you look at CEOs, let's say maybe before COVID, they did a lot more travel, but massive leaders of massive organizations, I should say, who are eating just whatever all the time, playing food, junk, whatever. And, you know, they either put on weight or they, you know, angry quickly, all that sort of other stuff. What is it about your app or and the programs that you've got that with the nutrition? Like, is how explain to us how it works on, on your site and how people can benefit from that just as in general life? Yeah. So, a uh, well, Everyone needs. A, a, I'm not a big promoter of a well balanced diet, so um, you know I, I don't heavily promote like a, a keto diet. I don't heavily pr- promote like you know going paleo. I think a well balanced diet is for me an, an optimal way of, of living life, and it's also sustainable in my opinion. So, mm, um, yeah. what you get through my platform is is a well balanced diet. So making sure that you're hitting your protein intake and protein intake isn't just about building muscles. Protein does a lot of things in your, in your, in your body. One is detoxification that people probably don't realize is proteins actually, they, they, they detox your body. Um, getting in your, your brain foods, the stuff that's going to make you focus and, and, and concentrate, which is your healthy fats, you know? So your olive oils, your avocados, your nuts, you know? So making sure that people are getting the, the right amount of fats and also, 
getting the right amount of carbs. You know, there's a big, you know, ongoing myth that carbs make you fat, but it's it's not. You know, the, the right carbs at the right times are critical. So carb timing is, is a big thing that I, I promote as well. And so, yeah, you have an all-round balance there. And uh, by getting those ratios right, uh, you're gonna you're gonna see a big difference in performance, and like you, and like you said, it's not just about um, it's not just about athletic performance. It's about also your work performance, right? So if you, if, you, if you're a corporate, um, just concentrating more, right? Being more alert, make, being able to make decisions, right? You know, um, yeah. you know, you talked about you know you briefly said James about like mood swings. You know, mood swings can be um, you know, de- de- depletion in nutrition as well. So there's all, all factors that lead to nutrition. And to be honest, nutrition is king. Nutrition is, mm. you know, when, when people, when people always ask me what's more important, nutrition or training, I tell them nutrition, it's, uh, it's, it's a 70, 30, it's 70% nutrition, 30% training. Yeah, that's yeah, incredible. So, and, and this is going to lead into my next question. You know, motivation for a lot of my friends who want to get into this, and even for me, and probably for Tommy as well, is the biggest thing. From your experience and your very wide ranging experience of client base, now, what are your top three tips to get people across the line? It's funny you mention this because I, I, I will quickly add. I, I, um, I put out a poll. Uh, on Thursday, and I said, you know, ask me, ask me anything, ask me a question. So on Thursdays, I let I let people ask me any questions when it regarding performance or anything F one. And I think a thousand questions came through, and I'm not going to lie, about two hundred of them, the question was, how do you stay motivated? And yeah. I've noticed this is a big, big challenge for a lot of people. And I actually wrote it on my, I wrote it down on my diary, and I'm going to do, I'm going to do a bit of a, a, a bit of a video on 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 motivation and I'm going to post it to people so people can, can listen to this um, because I noticed so many people are struggling. And so it is, it is a, it is a probably one of the main things people struggle with when starting out on their fitness journey. And the first thing I tell people is to find clarity. And what I mean by that is it's so easy to walk into a gym and be like, what's your goal? And someone, you know, comes to me as I want to lose 10 kilos, but why? Yeah. it's the why it's, it's it's having clarity on knowing why you want to do what you what you are uh, what you've just told me right and it's like okay well why do you want to lose 10 kilos uh well i want to look better what else uh okay maybe i want to look better in my suit because i'm about to get married okay what else okay i want to have the energy to play with my kids because i get tired too quickly boom all of a sudden you've just broken down that goal into clarity and now all of a sudden they have these three key points that 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 tie in with a more of a deeper meaning to them than just than just a number 10 kilos because then all yeah. of a sudden because you yeah. know what happens yeah. if you just walk in and say i want to lose 10 kilos you lose 10 kilos and all of a sudden it probably doesn't feel that good when you hit that goal you hit the goal and you probably think oh wow yeah. that's all it feels I, I thought it'd feel better so having that clarity yeah. of knowing why you're doing what you're doing is probably the number one thing i ask my clients to do um to so you know breaking down their obstacles breaking down their fears and actually diving quite deep into um why they want to do what they want to do, right? So that's probably the number one thing that I, I ask people to do from a motivation perspective, and then that kind of that kind of then ties into that kind of then self motivates them. You know what I mean? It, it, it already there's a self motivator there, and then what I do then is create small wins. So obviously we have this this big end goal. So it might be a twelve week end goal, but then we'll go and create incremental four week small win goals. So then all of a sudden you don't you're not just looking at this one goal which is so far away you've all of a sudden got oh no i've just given you a two-week goal and your two-week goal is go from six beers to two beers right so all of a sudden there's always there's always something coming right so there's always something to look forward to so creating those small goals and then i guess the third the third motivating factor would be uh assessment so me assessing them every two to four weeks and actually showing them the difference they're making in one, their training, and two, yeah. how they look, and three, how much closer they're getting to the end goal and actually showing them, you know, A to B. And th- those three things for me, I mean, they're, they're, they're pure gold when it comes to motivation. That's awesome, mate. And look, to be honest, I think I'm going to jump on to to the app and, and start because it's it's something that, 
from an authenticity point of view, there's plenty out there, as you said, and often they don't really know what they're talking about or they charge exorbitant fees. And <laughs> um, we're, but we're, if, if we uh, we'll put the links obviously below uh, to all of your stuff. But if people wanted to, to check you out, where is the best place that they can find you? Yeah, so, so the best place is my website, uh, www.michaelitaliano.com. And probably my Instagram channel as well. So just my, at Michael Italiano. So those two platforms, um, my my website is obviously through my, my, my a paid service, but my Instagram, I also provide a lot of free content to people that just want to, I guess, keep in touch with it and, and learn some health and fitness. Um, you can also subscribe to my mailing list on either channel. And I send out coaching, uh, weekly coaching mailers, uh, talk all things coaching. So like you said, I, 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 might, I might email about um, motivation one week. The next week we'll talk about lifestyle limitations. Um, I talk about belief, self-confidence. So a lot, a lot of things that I coach Daniel on, um, I, I, I put into my, my mailing list and I actually enjoy writing about. And uh, so, yeah, so if you want some free free stuff as well, it, it's there for you. Oh, that's awesome. amazing. And you know, we're, we, the general public, will benefit from your experience and what you've learned at the the peak of Formula One. Uh, but mate, you're an absolute legend. You're doing amazing stuff. Thank you for your time. Thank you for, for giving away free stuff as well in terms of leadership, your thoughts on that uh, and on motivation and health and fitness just generally. It's, it's awesome to have an Australian doing what you're doing in that space. And we wish you all the best, mate, with the business and, of course, with the season. Appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, James. Thanks, Tommy. I appreciate you guys having me on. Really enjoyed today. Podcast Network.